so grateful for this morning. We're in Revelation 13. If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter number 13. Uh, we've been walking through uh, the book of Revelation. If you're joining us today, chapter verse today, we're in Revelation chapter number 13. And uh, talking today <clears throat> about the beastly brothers. The beastly brothers. Uh, you know, it's interesting when we have conversations, uh, we talk uh, a lot of different ways and we use a lot of different words to describe a lot of different things. And oftentimes when we're in conversation with people, uh, we use symbolic language uh, and we do that to describe other folks along the way. And it's interesting because we understand what's being said and so our minds don't go crazy when we hear language being used by other people. For example, sometimes we talk about physical traits of somebody. Like this morning, if I were to say, you know, he's just kind of like, he, he, he's a beanpole. You wouldn't jump out there to the garden and say, man, that's a freaky dude. He's got leaves growing off of him. You would just say, no, he must be some thin fellow. I mean, that's just kind of how you interpret the symbolic language. We, we use that for physical attributes. Sometimes uh, we use it for character attributes. You know, we talk about, you know, he's a snake or he's a, a, a weasel or uh, he's just a, a chameleon. And, uh, and, and when we use those terms, we don't look for lizards and say, man, that's a lizard man right there. Uh, but rather, we understand what's being said. It happens uh, in every different area when we're describing people. And, so, and in fact, I was thinking even, even mannerisms. Sometimes we describe people based on mannerisms using other terms along the way. You know, he, he's a little monkey. Uh, we don't say, man, that's a freaky little kid, got hair all over his body climbing in the trees. Our mind does not go there. We understand what is being said. And so John, in the book of Revelation, oftentimes uses uh, symbolic language. In fact, uh, what happens to us, if we're not careful, is uh, we interpret uh, uh, literally what he intends symbolically. And so we have to understand, again, understand this, though, that when John is writing, he's writing God's Word, therefore there is literal truth, not symbolic truth, uh, but rather literal, literal truth. But it's interesting how our minds oftentimes run and go crazy whenever we're talking about uh, these things that are occurring in Scripture. Well, in the Bible, <clears throat> we talk about these end-time events. And so this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into our text here in, in Revelation 13. So today, if you have not been with us, uh, eschatology is simply a name uh, that we call the end-time events, those things pertaining to the end times. And so if you're talking about eschatological events this morning, uh, the next event that, that, that takes place, I believe, is what's called the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. That is different than the return of Jesus Christ. It is when Jesus Christ meets the church in the air. We do not have uh, a time or a day uh, designated. In fact, the Bible even says that even Jesus doesn't know when that's going to occur. And so it's going to happen uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The rapture, the church is taken away. And that sets into motion uh, the rest of what 
the Bible describes. Now, the book of Revelation doesn't give a whole lot on the, the, the rapture of the church. We find that uh, primarily 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Uh, but this morning we're in Revelation, and it's talking today about this tribulation period. So when the rapture occurs, it sets in motion uh, this tribulation period. There's going to be uh, a signing of a peace treaty uh, between what we would call the Antichrist and the nation of Israel, and that sets in motion this tribulation period, a seven-year period that's going to happen on this planet, uh, uh, and it's going to be a great judgment of God falling on this planet. First three and a half years, there's going to be peace where the Antichrist, who is representing, again, uh, worldwide leadership, uh, and has allowed and permitted the nation of Israel to rebuild a temple, to reestablish temple worship. And then at the three and a half year period, the Bible says, Daniel 9, verse number 27, that he's going to break this peace treaty, okay? He's going to break this peace treaty, this midpoint. And the latter half of the tribulation is referred to as the Great Tribulation because it just gets worse. I mean, it gets really bad. And so what's happening in Scripture and where we are this morning, where the text lies today is in Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter number 13, and we find ourselves at this midway point, all right? We've already covered the first, basically, three and a half years. Now, there is some uh, kicking back and forward uh, as we move ahead. However, we've, we, we've finished the first three and a half years. In Revelation, y'all with me, okay? In Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13, it's, it's kind of special uh, 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 because what we have is character introductions to the main characters who really play vital parts from this point moving forward. In other words, we're getting ready to move into the Great Tribulation. And so, and so in Revelation chapter 12, last week we talked about uh, those that were introduced. We had a woman who was with child, and we identified the woman as the nation of Israel. We had a red dragon that was introduced to us, and that red dragon simply was symbolic language representing Satan himself, all right? And then we had a man-child that was introduced to us, and that man-child that was born through the pregnant woman was none other than Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us that Michael the archangel <clears throat> had a, a battle behind the scenes uh, in the heavenlies uh, where he and his brother angels uh, stomped and kicked Satan and the dark angels uh, and banished them from ever entering into the presence of God again in heaven. And so he comes to earth. And so we have those four introduced last week. Today, this morning, we are introducing two more of the characters in Revelation chapter number 13 that's going to carry us out. These main characters that play parts through the great tribulation period. The first, and I'm calling them uh, the beastly brothers because they're both described using symbolic language. We're talking about literal people, okay? Literal people, however, uh, uh, they're described with symbolic language because they are beastly. In fact, uh, 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 the Bible gives us a, a, a description of the first one being the sea beast, and that would be uh, the Antichrist, verses number 1 through number 10. And then the second beast that we'll get to in just a moment is the earth beast. And the earth beast is a false prophet who will 
lead uh, the world, a one-world religious system uh, in that day. So we're going to get there in just a minute. But that's where we are, the Beastly Brothers today. And we're introducing, first of all, the Sea Beast, verse number 1 through 10, chapter 13. Here we go. And the Bible says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne. The dragon being the devil, uh, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act, for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth, earth dwellers, uh, will worship him. And every time through the book of Revelation, he talks about earth dwellers. We're not talking about saints. We're talking about uh, sinners who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword and the sword, he must be killed. Uh, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. And so this morning we're talking first about this <clears throat> Antichrist. And so he goes into further detail. And we've, we've heard of the Antichrist only briefly uh, back in Revelation in chapter number 6. Uh, but this morning he goes into greater detail of describing some characteristics of who this Antichrist will be. Uh, uh, some, some of his traits describing, again, a person who is empowered by the devil uh, in a particular position during this time on the face of the planet. Now, let me just say, I was going to get here at the end, but I'd like to go ahead and begin there just so that we're mindful as we move forward. Because a lot of times when we're talking about these events, we're thinking about something that might happen one day. Oh yeah, sure, I believe that, but when might it be? Well, it could be that the rapture takes place today, so it could be just a couple years away. That's what we're talking about. We don't know when it's going to happen. It'll be a few years down the road before what happens happens. Nonetheless, uh, the rapture could take place at any moment. And so that being said, the sea beast, the sea beast. Here's some characteristics, first of all, talking about the origination of the sea beast. The Bible says he comes up out of the sea, out of the sea, which again, there's a couple of different places and, and a lot of different interpretations. I personally believe we're talking about basically the sea of humanity, the sea of lost humanity. And Isaiah 57, verse number 20, says it like this. He refers to uh, uh, the sea of humanity, but the wicked are... Are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. And so when we're talking about the rise, again, of <clears throat> the Antichrist, uh, he comes out of the sea of 
humanity, the raging sea of humanity. If you remember in, in back there a few chapters ago, in chapter 6, we talked about the rise of the Antichrist, and he comes because this planet all of a sudden, again, imagine what's happening, the events leading up to his rise. His rise comes following the rapture of the church. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, every single believer on the planet vanishes leading a world into massive chaos such as never been experienced before. Can you imagine the planet being plagued with the church disappearing in a moment? We have accidents, we have fires, we have planes falling out of the sky. We have worldwide chaos, and the ensuing chaos that comes as a result of that sets the world up in a prime position such that we say, man, we need an answer, we need a leader, we need somebody to help us. And so we have the rise of the Antichrist. In fact, I was given a hard time about it. Uh, uh, but it basically, but it basically uh, and I never did say it was Dr. Fauci. That's not what I said. However, COVID, COVID, <laughs> COVID brought a worldwide pandemic such that everybody in the world said, we've got to have an answer. And there was one person that we went to and said, oh, he must have an answer. Why? Because we want, we long for security, no matter where it comes from. And so the world's going to be longing for somebody to assume that position. And so this Antichrist comes from the sea of lost humanity on the planet. And it, and it describes him as, again, a political leader. What's he going to look like? Well, he's a political leader. The Bible says here in, in, in the description, it says that he has ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems and his heads were blasphemous name. We're not talking about a seven-headed freak, but we're talking about a description of a political leader. The seven heads that we're talking about, I believe, uh, is a reference to the seven world powers that have taken place on this planet. When you look back on the planet, we have the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, and then the Antichrist. He will be that final world ruler. And so he is one of the world rulers. Now it's interesting, and we're going to get there, but, 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 but the Bible says that there's a fatal flaw on this seventh-headed beast. And so we're going to get there in just a minute. However, he does talk about uh, uh, ten kingdom, ten horns. And, and, and so these ten horns are representing, again, what we would say is, <clears throat> is the political leadership on the planet in that day. Perhaps maybe a, re, uh, a, a revived Roman Empire, uh, a European confederation of ten nations is what some would suggest. We are talking about, again, a leader among the leaders. That is why when the Antichrist signs an agreement with the nation of Israel, he is not doing that in his own accord. Although he is ruling, nonetheless, he's representing the rest of the leadership on the planet. And so that's why it bears much weight when he enters into a peace treaty. He's representing ten nations that are leading the world at that time, the ten-nation confederation. And it might not even be that we know exactly who those ten nations will be, although uh, some, again, are suggesting that it is the European Confederation. We'll see exactly uh, as we move forward. And the Bible goes on to describe him, this, this, this last kingdom that is under the reign and the rule of the Antichrist. And he uses, again, symbolic language in describing him. It says, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. 
And then it goes on to say, and, and, and Satan gave him. He was empowered by Satan. And, uh, and so it's an interesting description because it's the exact reverse order of what we read about back in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 4 through number 6. And it is in reverse order. Interesting, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But the Bible says in Daniel 7, beginning in verse number 4, the first, and he's talking about kingdoms on this world, kingdoms that will come to be. So Daniel was prophesying of the world leaders that would take place in the future. And so he says the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to him. And behold, verse 5, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of bird. Uh, the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And if you continue to move forward, uh, uh, it goes and describes the, the Roman Empire, but not, we're talking about the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Greeks. And so when we're talking uh, uh, in Daniel's language, he's describing these kingdoms and, and descriptive language. In other words, when you're talking about uh, the lion, the way in which he rules uncontested. Uh, when you're talking about the ferocious and the viciousness of a lion, that is how the kingdom was established. We're talking about a leopard, the swiftness with which the Greeks conquered uh, the entire planet. And so it's just descriptive language when you're talking about the leopard or the bear and, and the grip of the bear that, that he has control, complete control on this planet, a bear. And so in the book of Revelation, we're not prophesying any longer, but it has happened at that point. So he's looking back, and he's simply making this statement about the Antichrist. This is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you're aware of the world leaders that have happened in the past. You understand how wicked they were and how controlling they were and the attempts they were making to control the entire planet. And he says this Antichrist that's going to be in position, he's the best of all of them making him the worst. He's got every attribute that you saw wrapped up before, and then some. And that's all he's saying. He's saying this Antichrist is going to be a powerful, powerful world leader. That's who he's going to be. And then it goes on to talk about him, so his origination, and it says there's going to be this resurrection that happens. Verse number 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And so we have this fatally wounded Antichrist. Something will take place in his lifetime where either he is literally killed or he is definitely slain and it's played out such that he died and then he raises again. Why is that? Because the devil has always, has always wanted worship. The devil has always wanted to take the place of God Almighty. And what we see happening and unfolding in Scripture is basically a satanic trinity. When we talk about the trinity, as a body of believers, we say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? And so in the book of Revelation, what we see is an unholy trinity or a satanic trinity where we have Satan and then we have the Antichrist incarnate 
And then we have the false prophet whose job is to magnify the Savior, which is what the Holy Spirit does in the Holy Trinity. The Bible says in John chapter number 16 and verse number 14, in John chapter 16 and in verse number 14, He, and this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit of the living God, He will glorify me. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. 2 Thessalonians, the Bible says in chapter number 2 and in verse number 9, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9, that is, the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And so we're going to see other signs that happen in the life of the Antichrist. We're not exactly sure how that happens, but could you imagine, could you imagine for just a moment what would happen, how humanity would respond to the death and resurrection of, of a political leader. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to have a death, all right? We've seen that happen in the past, the death of a political leader. But could you imagine if John F. Kennedy came back to life? You know what would happen on the planet? People would worship him. They would say, Who can stand against a guy like that? You can't even kill him. And that's what's happening with the Antichrist. He has a resurrection that takes place while he is here. And the world responds with adoration. The Bible says in verse number 4, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? You can't kill him. You can't destroy him. He is the king. And so they worshiped the king. Daniel described it in his book. And you can read, there's so much in the book of Daniel. But Daniel chapter number 11 uh, and verse number 36 and 37 prophesied about what would take place. He describes it, Daniel chapter 11, 36 and 37. Then the king will do as he pleases and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods and he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women uh, nor will he show regard for any other god for he will magnify himself above them all and he will be worshiped second thessalonians again two verse number four who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He is longing to be worshipped. Can you imagine? The world is full of people who have rejected the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior Jesus Christ And yet they worship the counterfeit. To worship humanity. You know, you say, I thought you said the Antichrist was a person. He is. I mean, we, we even have people that worship people today. I was thinking about I have a lot of thoughts. But I was thinking about how on Saturdays we worship the Seminoles and on Sundays we don't 
take time to worship the Savior. I thought that. Talking about people worshiping people. People will be worshiping the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, obviously, is longing to be worshipped, and he's very much full of himself. And the Bible says in verse number 5 and 6, the desecration of the Antichrist. There was given to him a month, uh, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. We're talking again about the second half of the tribulation period. And so he says it's limited, 42 months, it's limited, three and a half years, he will blaspheme like never before. You know what it's a picture of? Really, you know what it's a picture of? You, you know what just happened? <clears throat> you know what just happened? We, we read about it last week. There's just been a battle royal in the heavenlies where the devil was beat down. And all of a sudden he goes and he's empowering the Antichrist. The Antichrist just runs his mouth. You ever, you ever, you ever met a bully that's done that? You ever seen that happen before? You ever seen a bully where they, where they got slapped around? <laughs> but then they go down the street and they run their mouth again and they just don't know when to stop. That's what, that's what we have a picture of happening here. The Antichrist is accusing. That's because that's what he is. He is the accuser. Always has been, always will be. And then there will be ensuing persecution. The reason for the persecution is because, man, I can't touch Jesus, but I'm going to mess with his family. I'm going to mess with his children. Verse number 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Christians during that time, you see, during the tribulation period, there will be people to get saved. You say, man, I thought that you said the church disappeared. It has. But people get saved during the tribulation period. And so we're talking about those that have been saved post-rapture on this planet. And when they do get saved, they will be hunted down like dogs. The Antichrist <clears throat> will be hunting them down. And it goes on in verse number 8 through... 10. And it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. He's talking about believers and non believers. If anyone has ear, let him hear. It's interesting, again, because we see that phrase used several times in the book of Revelation. In fact, we saw it used in chapter number 2 and in chapter number 3. If anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 2 and 3. Now, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what he says. Where's the church? It's not a trick question. Raptured. Raptured. It's not there. He's not talking to the church. Because the church, the bride, has been raptured. Oh, there will be saints, but the church is no longer present. He goes on, he says, if anyone is destined for captivity, uh, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, then the sword he must be killed. Here's the perseverance and the faith of 
the saints. And it's just basically a word of encouragement to the martyrs that during this period of time there will be great persecution. You just know it and you remain faithful to the end, come what may. Be faithful to the end, come what may. Because the Antichrist will hunt you down and he has been granted authority to rule the nations. <clears throat> so we're subject to authority. He goes on from there and he says, let me give you another character. Verse number 11. It says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. See, this is, this is the unholy, holy spirit, but it's a person whose fatal wound was healed. He performs in verse 13 great signs so that he even makes fire come out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him uh, to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of man, and his number is 666. So we have the earth beast. And the earth beast is interesting because he's being described uh, as a lamb or a sheep, but yet he has a couple of horns coming out of his head. And, uh, and so what we see in him is basically a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus Christ, in fact, gives warning to wolves in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7 and verse number 15, the Bible says it uh, like this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And we see them even today. Uh, people who come with a smile, uh, people that look friendly on the outside, but carry a message of devastation. Uh, and, and, and there are many that follow them, hook, line, and sinker, because why? It's appealing. In fact, you're a very likable person. And when we're talking about this false prophet that he's describing here, he's talking about a religious leader. We're going to have a world where there's one world religion happening, all right? There's one world, and you don't have an option. Either you get on board or we take your life. And so there's this one world religion that's taking place. And we've seen, in fact, uh, a mass movement toward ecumenicalism. And, and in fact, uh, the, the whole one world, like, like as if we're all on the same page, when the fact of the matter, we're not all on the same page. We have national days of prayer where they're saying, hey, I want the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons to go up there with the Christians. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, we're not praying to the same God. But we're going to have this leader that comes along, and he's a <clears throat> very likable guy, a very gifted person. And his whole purpose is to exalt the Antichrist and to cause people to worship, again, the Antichrist. 
And so he's going to, again, establish this one world uh, government. He exercises authority in verse number uh, 12 of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. And talking about the Antichrist, whose fatal wound was healed. And so he's magnifying, again, uh, uh, this Antichrist. And he's causing people to come and to worship the Antichrist. And so that's what he's doing. He is leading out this one world religion where the Antichrist is Jesus Christ to them. And he's performing signs. God gifts him and gives them the opportunity, in fact, to perform signs, which is something that we have seen in history. Verse number 13 through 15, he performs great signs so that he makes even fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And, was, and it was given to him to breathe uh, to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many uh, as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so you see what happens here is he's given supernatural signs. And, and one of them is to call down fire from heaven. And so we've seen, again, those things take place in history. In fact, where the devil is trying to disguise himself as an angel of light. If you go back to the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, what we've seen is when Moses came along and, and Pharaoh had his magicians to do perform signs. And oftentimes what the signs do is they cause people to stumble along the way. And so they're able to pull fire from heaven, number one, but also uh, give life to what seems to be an idol that's been brought to, or an idol of, the Antichrist. And so he gives life to this idol. We're not exactly sure how that works, but what the purpose behind it is to deceive the people into thinking that, man, this must be God, because look what he can do. And so he's performing signs, but he's also, not only is he performing signs in this time and deceiving the masses, which will be, Deceived. In fact, the Bible even talks about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 12. These are interesting verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. What is the Apostle Paul saying to the church at Thessalonica? He's just simply saying those who are alive during the days of grace, those who are alive on a day like today, that hear the gospel truth, that hear that Jesus Christ came into this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sins and Jesus came and he paid the price for you completely and in full he conquered death in the grave he came up from the grave on the third day he's ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and one day he's coming again and there's got to be a time in your life when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved to repent of my sins and to call on his name and recognize that I can't save myself I can't be good enough because I'm a sinner 
But that God loves me and demonstrated his great love for me that while I was a sinner, Jesus came and paid the price for my sin. And we are saved today. We're saved today by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God. Nothing you can do for yourself. He did it for you. And you just got to humble yourself and receive that free gift. And Paul is simply saying, for those of you who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it, to think that, well, if I don't get saved the first go-round, maybe uh, the church gets raptured and I'll call on the name of Jesus. Then he says, no, you won't because you're going to get deceived. You rejected in the first go-round. It's not going to happen. There's no hope for you if the rapture happens today. Signs, deceiving signs. But then the Bible says here in closing, and he causes all, the, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of man, and his number is 666. And they call that the human number <clears throat> because it's just shy of perfection. We fall short. Simply saying, when you're talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet. During this period of time, they will control all commerce. One world banking system, cashless society. You heard those terms lately? What are you saying? I'm saying the spirit of the Antichrist is at work, and I'm telling you, like never before, we are lined up in such a way today that we see how it happens. We have a, do you know, do you know that the Amazon, Amazon has, plant, has places, stores where you can walk in there and you don't even, you just walk in there and put your palm over the thing and it reads it. Cashless. And in the beginning, you know what happens? Everybody embraces that hook, line, and sinker because it offers security. That's, that's what the devil does. You know, that's how he functions. That's his M.O., always has been. He promises the goods but never delivers. In other words, what happens is all of a sudden people say, that's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. I mean, I'm always forgetting my credit card or I'm forgetting my cash. And, I mean, I can just walk in there and they just scan me. Yeah, they'll control you. So if you don't submit to the Antichrist, you get hungry and you don't eat. You want to go somewhere, you don't get gas. That's either follow him or die. So that's what's going to happen. When you're talking about this great tribulation period, you know, John earlier in the book said, hey, you know the message that you find is, is a bittersweet message. It's a bittersweet message. You know, when you look at this, 
as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's so sweet to know that I will be raptured. <laughs> and I don't have to deal with this. I'll be raptured. I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> what a day that's going to be. But it's bitter because I got people that I love dearly that if the rapture happened today, this is where they are. So what's the takeaway? Man, if we're saved, you praise the Lord and thank God that we're saved. But if you're saved, recognize it's getting late. Look around at the signs. Jesus said, watch the signs. Oh, oh, like never before. The pump has been primed and is ready. It is ready for what he's describing. So it's late. So I would encourage the church to wake up. It's late. It's late. God, help us be found faithful. He's going to come one of these days. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready? Would y'all do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? We're going to pray this morning, and after we pray, we'll sing a song. And after the song is sung, it's an opportunity to come and talk, even where you are this morning. Hey, let me ask you a question. If the rapture were to happen today, where would you be? That's a legitimate question. You say, man, I, I, hope, I hope I'd be with Jesus, but I don't know. Well, if, if, if that's your answer, could I ask you a, a question to follow up? What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? See, because for the believer, my only hope is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, my sin debt has been paid in full. The bill's paid. I'm ready. And I receive that by faith. The moment I was saved. And if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, what are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? Hey, maybe today you're here and you say, man, I, I know I'm not but I'd like to be saved. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so today, I want to encourage you before you leave, call on his name. Call on his name. We're going to wait for you this morning. Hey, but to the church, to the church, it's late. It's late. Who's your one?
Who's your one? Oh God, thank you for the day. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving us your word. Just to know that, God, you have a plan, that you are sovereign, you are in control of all things. You are God alone, and there is none like you, there's none beside you, uncontested. Father, you're God. Father, we praise you today. We thank you for this time. And Lord Jesus, even now, I pray, dear God, that we'd be obedient to the leadership of your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for this time and opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.